Welcome to the Influency Podcast. I'm Hadar, and this is episode number 45. And today we have a special guest. Her name is Samara Bay, and she will talk to us about the practice and politics of how we speak and how we get heard. Hey, I hope you're doing well. So happy to have you here again. Episode number 45, which is always exciting as the numbers go up. I feel like I'm going somewhere. Um, I am so incredibly excited about this episode. I think it's one of my favorites because (laughs) it's not about me. Um, In this podcast episode, I'm interviewing someone who I admire and love, and I've come to know her really recently. So here's how it goes. Um, One day, I was tagged in a post on Instagram that had nothing to do with me or anything that I do, but there were a few other accounts tagged there. And I had time, so I was curious. And I'm like, mm, okay, let's check. Let's check out who else is tagged here. Who don't I know yet? And then I see this handle, permission to speak. And I'm like, okay, I love that. I want to see who that is. Because I always talk about giving yourself permission to make mistakes and to be yourself and ultimately to speak. And that term, that phrase caught my eye and my heart. And I was like, I get this person without even seeing anything. So I go to the account and then I see it's a podcast. So I straight away go to iTunes and I check it out. And the moment I hear the intro and the premise of this podcast, I fell in love. I fell in love with the idea. I fell in love with the host who is my guest today, Samara Bay. And the podcast is all about challenging how we perceive the voice of power. And it's all about the voice. And it was such perfect timing because I just recently started talking about the voice as well and how we change the voice when speaking English and uh, the placement of our voice. So it felt like I just manifested this connection. I reached out to Samara and I asked her if she'd be interested in talking about all of that. And luckily she said yes. Now, let me tell you a bit more about Samara because I don't think we talk about it as much in the interview. Samara is a Hollywood dialect coach for actors uh, and she works in television and film. And she coached a lot of big names like Gal Gadot, on the set of Wonder Woman 2, or shall I say it with a proper pronunciation, because I know how to pronounce her name, Gal Gadot, as well as Pierce Brosnan, Rachel McAdams, Penelope Cruz, so a lot of good people. She also coaches politicians and public speakers. And today she's going to share with us her knowledge and her expertise and her ideas about how we speak and how we get heard. So it's really, the conversation is going to be (laughs) a little bit all over the place because we go back and forth between ideas, but I'm sure you're going to love it. And you're also going to learn about a cool technique on how to pronounce vowels in English, though you might want to watch it on my website because there's some physical stuff going on over there. Anyway, 
Um, but for now, stay with me on the podcast and let's welcome Samara Bay. Hi, Samara. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, Hadar. How are you? I'm beside myself. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Here in my, in, in my studio in Tel Aviv. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, we, I do not want to say that there's a billion silver linings for coronavirus because there are not. But one of them is that distance means nothing anymore if everything is right? remote. Absolutely. It, it feels like I can almost hug you. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling it. I'm I feel my it. Head. <laughs> and also, you um, just think that it's really hot in Tel Aviv and I just got this like mad rush of heat. I mean, granted, I'm in Los Angeles, so it's also hot here but um but i do feel like i'm like really flushed as though we're sharing a space together so well thank you for being here i the first time i heard your voice first of all then your name then your message i felt like you are my soulmate and <laughs> i need to connect with you and luckily i was able to do that Um, and I'm so grateful that you're here because I think that what you will be sharing here and the conversation that we're going to have is going to be very meaningful for so many people listening to this. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for discovering me. I didn't know that you existed and your community existed. And now I'm like, of course, of course, you know, I mean, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. I'm Hollywood based in terms of. The dialect work that I've done and so I, I never really like went down the rabbit hole of seeing like what the internet version is what you do when you don't have mm. you know necessarily a coach right in front of you and you're working one-on-one -on -one. Mm. and um, and it's really wonderful to find that there's somebody else who's talking about you know how we talk the way that I do right well for those who don't know you why don't you introduce yourself um, okay well um, so as I said I'm in Hollywood I spent my 20s in New York on the East Coast of the US, uh, pursuing an acting career. I have an MFA in acting. Shakespeare's like my totally foundational background, but it served me in ways I, I absolutely could never have anticipated. And you know, part of my story, the, the, the last part of the story is that in the last few years, unrelated to coronavirus, which obviously is affecting the US currently in, in ways that um, we don't see an end in sight, Um, but even prior to that, for the last few years, really since the 2016 election, relatedly, uh, I started coaching people who were running for office and sort of testing mm -hmm. out if the way that I was working with actors on their voice and their speech and their dialect for stories, you know, for how they tell their stories and for how the stories of Hollywood get told, if that really was applicable outside of the entertainment industry. Mm. And, you know, obviously I'm thinking in terms of vowels and consonants, but I'm also not, right? I mean, I'm thinking in terms of musicality. I'm thinking in terms of how our thoughts and our intentions and our heart and our gut connect to what comes out of our mouth. And that, needless to say, is relevant for everybody. Am I allowed to swear right. here? <laughs> it's the internet. Of course um, you are, yeah. Fucking everybody. Um, and so, you know, the first gamble that I took with like, and my valuable in this realm was with women who are running for office. I have a bit of a background also in helping scientists. My dad is a scientist. So they were sort of in my like 
late 20s, early 30s, I did some work helping coach scientists on public speaking. So I had that background mm-hmm. as well. And then I started to experiment once that was really working with my friend circle, with entrepreneurs, with people who are pitching to Hollywood, um, you know, pitching in meetings, but not necessarily with creative backgrounds or with, with performance backgrounds. And what is it, especially for women, especially for marginalized people of any sort who have been told in all kinds of subtle ways or, you know, not so subtle ways their entire life that they're not what power sounds and looks like. Mm-hmm. I work with people on like how to, you know, change that story, how to teach the people mm-hmm. around them that there's a new way that power can sound. And a lot of that is, you know, that the world has to change, but a lot of it is that we can affect the way that we are showing up in spaces. How much of it is the mindset and the conversation around it? Uh, and maybe sometimes like taking action and how much of it is physical? It's such a good question. It's really both. And I think mindset is um, more important. Yeah. You know, I mean, not that, they, not that they have to be in competition, right? But, but yes, like I think that um, if I were to give somebody a one minute warm up to do before a really, you know, scary conversation, whether it's a public speaking situation or just like a, I need a raise type of thing, um, I would say the physical matters a lot in that particular case because getting our body loose and feeling playful, dancing for a minute, if we only have one minute, I would actually just literally tell people to like dance and hum a little bit. Um, but mm-hmm. that is also because of the mindset aspect of it, which I would encourage prior to that one minute. Um, but the mindset aspect of it is about telling ourselves in a really meaningful way, doing work on ourselves to trust, trust, trust that we deserve to be in that space. Yeah. I mean, you know, we do. <laughs> and there's yeah. all kinds of subtle ways that even the strongest among us um, tell ourselves, but they don't really want to hear what I have to say. The amount, you know, I have this podcast and I've interviewed almost exclusively women and most of them are really powerful. And I'm, they're on my podcast because they're experts in some capacity. And I've heard even among them, what happens in my coachings, which is that when you ask a woman or somebody who has been, you know, systematically told that their voice doesn't matter to tell a story about themselves, they figure out a reason not to. I think that, um, I, I totally relate and, you know, I've been teaching, I've been helping non-native speakers for over 10 years. And the first few years of my coaching had to do only with the technical stuff because that's what I knew and that's what I did. I had to kind of like overcome a lot of challenges and barriers, but I, 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 I wasn't thinking about it, right? I was just doing it as I was on the go. And once I started incorporating mindset and uh, limiting, like changing limiting beliefs and reframing and um, to talk about, uh, to, to actually give them some actionable tasks to do and to show up and to speak up um, the results. And I kept on doing the technical stuff and even less, I felt that the results were so much better because because your podcast's name is Permission to Speak. This is exactly what it's about because people, it's funny because I always talk about it in terms of people who have accents and make mistakes and get stuck so they don't feel that their voices deserve to be heard. They think that they're going to waste people's time uh, people are not going to understand them or th- they're going to think that they're stupid because they made a grammar mistake, even though it's their na- it's their second language. And it makes total sense. I mean, it's scientific that you would make and, mistakes. And most of the people that they're going to be talking to don't speak more than one language if they're speaking exactly. to you. 
speakers. This is part of the work, although it doesn't it doesn't really help them. Sh like they they don't believe it, right? Mm -hmm. It's the imposter syndrome. It's all of that that they feel that they're just not enough. In a second language, even more. That's even heightened. So I absolutely see how that has worked for you as yeah, well. Yeah, and honestly, the the phrase permission to speak has has ended up resonating with me in more ways since I since I've launched the podcast and also I just sold a book uh, on the same topic. I know to wow. Penguin Random House. But uh, but it made me really think about that that phrase permission to speak because we can talk about the speaking part, but it doesn't really work without the permission part. We give ourselves permission, you know? How do we do that? How do we think about the ways that we've set up these narratives in our mind that, right. you know, how I sound is a worse way of speaking English than the people I'm speaking to, so they're going to be judging me. And even if they are, you know, we have ways that we can either reinforce that or start to break that down. I mean, I've definitely right. coached just recently over over you know the internet in this in this new era. I um, coached a gentleman who's from Iran who was talking about and whose English really is quite choppy. I mean, he's quite new to the U.S. He's a refugee, mm -hmm. and um, and but he's really joyful and was clearly like game to try something new. And I said, you know, could you would you consider practicing ahead of time? I'm not big on obviously like memorizing things that we say that doesn't sound organic and it's it's not usually a, a great you know recipe for success. But maybe you could work on a few key things that just bring you a little sparkle that say something like, you know, English is new to me, but I'm doing I'm I'm thrilled with how well I can communicate with you or something that's like not an apology, but an acknowledgement and just doing one of those up top is a way of warming up any space you're in and acknowledging the problem and making the problem the solution. And also like always being in a state of in, in process. It's new to me, but I'm doing my best to communicate well. I'm doing right, my best right, to be clear. Right. Or I learned a new word. You know, if that's if he if he did, or you know, I learned I've I've just I've just been learning I've just been, you know, I'm so excited to talk to you, American person who might be judging me because uh, I'm getting better and better every day, still working on it. You know, like we get to re we get to frame it with the actual words that we say as much right. as, you know, with our body language, with our tone of voice, all of that. It's important to do it before and it's important to also do it after when our tendency is always to remember the negative things and all like all the bad parts. I, I had once um, like a, a group coaching with women and one of them stood up and she spoke about this talk that she gave and she got really quiet and she was like, and then I got stuck for a few seconds and it <laughs> felt like the, the, the end of the world or it was 30 seconds, I don't know. But, and, and I asked her, did anyone mention? I was like, no, they said it was a great talk, but for me, I felt like, you know, English is not my thing. I stopped speaking after that. And uh. it's just like, from this entire talk that she gave and answer, she got stuck. It happens in your native language as well, but when it happens in English, you associate it and you connect it to English and then you think, you know, I, this is just not for me. Well, and on, honestly, because um, for the last few months, I've been working almost exclusively with people for whom English is their first language. And we're just actually talking about issues that come up when we're public speaking. I can say to any of your you know, viewers who are listeners who are, who, for whom English is their second language or third or fourth or whatever, you know, brilliant, right. uh, brilliant, brilliant uh, language skills you guys have, um, that this just is, it's so beyond this English as a second language issue. It really is like, how do we show up as humans? And yeah. 
that I'd say that not to say like you're to diminish your story at all, but to actually give you even more permission if possible, that truly this is a human experience. How we put thoughts from inside our head, which have to do with feelings that we have, which do not have words attached, experiences we have had, which do not have words attached, and dreams that we have, which do not have words attached, and how we communicate those things from inside of us out is anyone's guess. Like, how do we figure out what word goes after what word to try to capture those things I just said that have no words attached? That is the human experience. And it feels really front of mind when English is not your first language and when we're speaking in a language that isn't our own. I mean, I spent a summer in France when I spoke semi-good, bad French. And I remember like how much I felt like I owed the people who are listening to me because the fa- because of the favor that they were doing by being patient right. enough with my bad life. I mean, I am well, I really, I really feel what that is. And I want to say that on top of that, it is a human experience that communication is messy and imperfect. And that is, I think it's beauty. And also obviously it's challenge for right. all of us. Right. That's- so beautiful. And there's something really comforting about that, that we're all in this together and also solvable. Like if, okay, it's not just about my English. So once English is no longer the issue, then it's a lot easier to to speak with fluency because fluency is only a result of the state of mind and the confidence. It really has Mm -hmm. nothing to, I mean, it has to do with vocabulary and grammar and all of that. But, you know, a lot of times when people tell me about how they struggle to speak at work, I ask them, do you feel, is, do you have the same experience when you're with your friend over a glass of wine? And they say no. So it's not the English. And this really correlates with what you're telling that. It's yeah. I'm a big fan or... also of like, you know, when we are talking about really like uh, literal public speaking, like getting on a stage type of public speaking, which, you know, in the U S no one's doing right now, but like, <laughs> I, I, I hope it for everybody. Um, but you know, when we're talking about that, I'm often the metaphor for me is often this idea of scaling up that version of ourselves that we are comfortable with and not every room can handle that person, you know, sometimes our instincts are right that the version of ourselves when we're with our friends having a drink isn't appropriate. But often it is just a slightly heightened version, a slightly more like breathing, taking pauses, knowing that we have the floor and no one will interrupt us version of that conversational um, selves that we all have. And, you know, for many of us, it just feels so wildly different in those two different contexts. And if we can, if we can, one of the things that we can say to ourselves as we're preparing to speak in public, even if it's just in a meeting or whatever, even more so if it's just in a meeting is, what am I like with my favorite people? How is she or he going to be welcomed in that room? The answer probably is very well. And we tell ourselves, no, but that space is more formal. No, but I can't, I can't dare bring myself into the room. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people. I have a, a episode that's coming out of my podcast soon with somebody, I don't want to give it away, but somebody who has worked with um, some of the greatest world leaders. And we talked about this issue of formality. And she said, you know, the best public speakers are, are comfortable. So what is it to feel comfortable? And obviously it feels like an oxymoron. It feels like a total opposite. You're supposed to be on a stage and feel discomfort. We all know culturally, like being on a stage is supposed to be scary and awful and weird. And you're supposed to hate public speaking. But I think the secret in honestly changing who the leaders of the world are 
is in us realizing that that the version of us that is at our most comfortable, if we can scale him or her right. up a little tiny bit to those stages, we are what the new sound of leadership is. And I also think that public speaking in general is changing. It is becoming more conversational and a lot of ideas about how what you should do with your body and how you should use your voice, all of that. It's like no longer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, For those listening on the podcast, you should come over to YouTube to watch this. But uh, it's like booing. Yeah, uh, yeah right. It's like yeah. I don't want to throw out all conventional wisdom. There is, you know, oh, people talk about what to do with your hands, fine. I mean, as I'm doing, you can't even see it, but as I'm doing this, I'm doing like these massive hand gestures that are completely organic. You know, fine. Right. You can do, you can, you can think, you can read some paragraph in some book about how the greatest TED talkers uh, have, have conducted their bodies and learn a little something, sure. But I would argue that um, believing you deserve to be in the space and breathing like a person who truly breathes, not a person who holds mm -hmm. their breath because they're bracing mm -hmm. for something scary to happen mm. is going to solve so much of that. And then also the work ahead of time before you give a, before you give a talk, sorry, before, uh, the, the work you do ahead of time before you are supposed to be up on that stage, thinking about um, what matters to me in this, what matters to me in what I'm about to say, and how do I okay. say it like it matters to me? Yeah. And, and communicating it like you're really speaking to someone. Like you're talking you're, like you're a person. Like you're I mean, I sort of joke. I say this all the time when I'm coaching clients and they all laugh because, you know, it's sort of a mean thing to say, but it's also like you, there is, we do have, we all, I'm going to just say we all, I'm going to say like, like I'm an authority on, on, on everybody. We you all are. have this sense that to be a, uh, an expert or to be on a stage is to be some certain way, to be like the people who we grew up hearing, to be like the best person we can think of, but certainly not to be like ourselves. <laughs> oh God, no, right? Right. But when we breathe, when we do that dancing ahead of time, all of that is about right. saying, can we bring some of our real self up right. there? Can we be a person and not be a robotic Ro monotone robot. yeah. version of a person who's hiding. And I'm here to, the permission part is me saying, yeah, I am, I am not judging anybody for hiding vocally, physically, the ways that we, you know, cover our bodies and our voices. I'm not judging at all. I am saying it is so human and I so hear you. And we live in a, you know, depending on what culture you live in, you know, tell me if this feels right or not to you, but we live in a pretty, you know, patriarchal capitalist white supremacist situation yes. here and um we have heard that being a person uh would be less welcome and the answer is no <laughs> the answer is no right you know when i uh, when i just opened my youtube channel i was so ashamed of the fact that i'm a non-native speaker teaching pronunciation so uh. i would hide that fact like i oh my I, god I, I, did, I didn't mention it anywhere now go back and watch my first few videos a robot speaking to the camera yeah. Now we are going to talk about the schwa. Anyway, and um, I thought that that's the like the, that's the the formula for success, right? Like you need to speak, you need to and sound also, uh, authoritative, of course, and mm -hmm. also a way to make um, you know one of your greatest strengths into a weakness in your own mind. Right. It was only when I decided. Also, I was you know doing some coaching, and I was I decided that okay, I have. Like I, I was fed up with it. I was actually so bored with myself and I was unhappy with how it came out.
and all signs aren't they yeah <laughs> and then like one day i just created this video telling my story and from that moment on actually there was this guy calling me he's like a public speaking coach and we're, we're having this conversation and he was like you know i was watching all your videos and at the beginning you sounded like there was something there that shifted around video number and he actually remembered what videos he did his research huh? and it was exactly that point where i just it's kind of like I said, this is me. I make mistakes. And I was also, because I make mistakes, right? I make grammar mistakes and my pronunciation is not perfect. And I may, I have typos. And right, what is perfect? What is the proper pronunciation? Anyway, pronunciation not perfect according to the YouTube. I am like, validating the, the your police. experience and also saying, well, I don't, I don't like those words. But yes, exactly. Right, right, right. No, the accent police, I call it. Uh, yes. Where people, yes. well, actually, you're, uh, you know, you you have not aspirated your peas in this video. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Well, also coming from acting and then also having like a little bit of a like popular linguistics kind of, you know, sensibility, um, you know, so much of that is about, uh, you know, this idea of descriptivism versus prescriptivism, right? We're not saying you should do it this way. This is the right way. We're saying the opposite. How interesting, how curious, how do you speak? Right. How cool that right. is. Right. And, 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 and obviously when we're learning, when, when I have to coach somebody in a specific accent for a specific job, I have to sort of narrow how much, uh, you know, just like absolute freedom we have into something that feels like it's telling the right story and not telling the wrong story. But even in then, you know, even in that, like when I've coached people to play real life figures, uh, they don't, no one gets an Oscar or an A for sounding the most like the person, they get an Oscar or an A in, you know, teacher Samara, um, for capturing the essence. And essence has nothing to do with what right. sound goes where. It has to do with right. who's this human being and what is their lived experience and how does their voice reflect their lived experience. And which is really? what I'm always interested in with with clients, you know. So so how how do you work? Maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Like how would you help someone capture the essence of a sound, an accent, a language, um, both when you work on specific dialects or foreign accents, but also when you work with your foreign students on sounding more intelligible? Um, okay. It's a big, like it, it ranges a lot. So right. this is going to be like kind a of a two hour overview. answer. Uh, right yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me give you the, uh, <laughs> um, but no, there is, there is a real, um, there's some simple stuff. There's some foundational stuff. One of them is when I was in my 20s in New York, learning all this stuff and still thinking I was going to be a Shakespearean actress, but I, I just kept finding, I mean, this is really part of my story. I kept finding dialect mentors. Like I was not looking and they found me or I found them. And you know, the, the, the part of me that super geeks out about this, like you do was clearly already, you know, bursting forth. And I was like, no, no, I'm an actress. Thanks. But nonetheless, I kept finding. And one of them is this woman named Kate Wilson. She teaches at Juilliard and, um, she taught me a physical gesture way of learning the pure vowels of American English. <clears throat> when I, when I was, uh, I spent a summer at the public theater in Manhattan. So very, that's where Shakespeare in the park happens. Like I was, you know, I was touching greatness and it was, I was How 20, old were you there? 20, 23, about to start grad school between college and grad school. In New and New York. we might've lived in New York at the same uh, time. Probably, yeah. Thinking probably, about it. Yeah. Probably we, we did. And yeah. 
I just drank too much red wine. So I saw you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't worry. Me too. Jameson, I think. Jameson. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were cooler than me. I was just like, cheap red wine. I think that's what people, (laughs) artsy people drink. Um, But But I was going to every, yeah, like every Shakespearean play that was out there, I was there. Totally. All the things, all the things. Um, I volunteered everywhere. I was like, I, I, I made no money. I was a cocktail waitress. So then I just like spent all my days doing God knows what. But to answer your question, um, Kate Wilson taught this method that I don't think was hers necessarily, but she had evolved it into something. And and then I have since evolved it. Um, and at her at her suggestion, because when, um, when I was in my late 20s and I got my first professorship at Pace University in Manhattan, uh, teaching uh, the BFA kids, so the undergraduate theater kids, uh, mm-hmm. speech for the stage, um, I called her and was like, could you remind me about some of that stuff? And she said, no, this is where you have to take it and make it your own, which oh, was wow. talk about a teachable moment. It was That was very valuable. So, but all of which is to say there are physical gestures to keep track of all the vowel sounds. Here are a few that I can do while I'm in this square. A lot of them require yes. like, like rubbing your tummy and stuff like that, that doesn't work so well over this. But, um, and this is, as you said, good, better to see on YouTube than over audio. But oh. so this is the short I sound I, I, as in sit, right? And this is E, yeah. e right? As in B, e. B or C. So if you have I, I. and E, Right. For me, for I will say E exists in every language. It does not. Right. It is one of those bizarro American words, mm-hmm. American sounds, English sounds, um, which does exist in a few other languages. I don't want to say like we own that sound, but for right. so many foreigners. And when I yeah. taught at um, Stella Adler Acting School in Hollywood, it's an international school. I didn't realize that when I got the job, I thought it was sort of mm-hmm. going to be like pace. And I was ready with my like, you know, teach everybody standard American and then move on to doing Irish and, you know, all these other things. And as no. day one, I was like oh (laughs) I'm not a single American which was a dream really I mean I learned so much I became a better coach for Mm. sure and figured out my patter or you know patter makes it sound like I'm like a charlatan but you know my patter as in like the the way I talk about this stuff that really lands with people with a lot of joy and a lot of speed which is very much my MO like I want it to really work and then like let's you know, move on and you can practice on your own. Um, I want people to feel autonomous as quickly as possible. That's very much yeah. my thing. Like, you know, this is not about like, here's our long system and you have to come to me for six years. It's like, right. let me give you, let me throw at you as much as I can. If you record it and take notes and whatever, sit yeah. with it, do your own thing, come back to me when right. you need auditions for specific stuff. But like, yeah. I really want you to just practice it on your own and mm-hmm. feel this out and watch videos and listen to, people who are your type, but sound a little differently from you and sound that out yeah. in your mouth and feel what it feels like. And, you know, the, the sort of like soft brain version of this, rather than sort of get out your right. books, smart brain version of this. Um, so yeah. part of that is why the, those physical gestures really worked for me. So, you know, when I had that is sound and I had this Argentinian girl who very memorably said, you know, I just want help with like, how to say, how to say beach and not let's sound like I'm saying beach. Like, I don't want to go to the beach. I want to call her a beach. But I'm like, you need the short I sound. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And we can talk about how we make that in the mouth, but honestly, I was right. never trained that way. Mm-hmm. I think it's about like I, you know, I don't want to. It doesn't resonate with them too. Method, but for me, oral posture is not a phrase that helps me. If, if you if you're looking right. at a specific character to go to your question about somebody who's playing a specific person, 
absolutely when you ca when you watch that person if something hits you like oh god they feel really far back or they feel really weirdly present or god this part of their yeah. face seems like it's opening up that kind of, that kind of a hit that's like image based use that but if it's like everybody from this part of the world has this oral posture i'm like no for as an actor especially i'm like yeah so i'm supposed to have an intention as this character and also think about where the it does it like it so i mean i i guess part of it is i start with those physical gestures to help people um, just literally know what the pure vowel sounds Give are. Give me some more. So do you remember? There's no, of course. I mean, I could do all okay, of them. Let me want the oh. whole like, but it's a little, Please. you know. Little, um, just a few more. Okay. Well, so, um, so this is a apple. A. It's like you have an a apple. A, 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 oh. a. I've actually recently been starting to teach it like this because I don't want people to feel like oral posture wise. I don't want people to feel like it's a pushback sound. A, right. Mm. It should feel sort of like it's coming out of you. Ah. From mm. obviously most of the world, this sound doesn't exist either, and it's weirdly right. ugly. And I say that with no judgment, but I say that on purpose because so many people try to find a beautiful version of it. And if you try to find mm -hmm. a beautiful version of ah, you get to you get one of the other English. A right. sound, which is ah, as in father, ah, ah, ah. and, and Spanish and Hebrew ah. and a lot of languages have an in-between sound ah, which we ah. don't have. So what we have to figure out if we, if we're, if we're an American, we have to figure out if you have a name, like for example, Gal Gadot, <laughs> that's my <laughs> terrible American pronunciation of it on purpose. But you know, if you have a name like Gal, Right. And and then and the proper pronunciation is gal, then like we have to think, we have to figure out is it a apple or mm -hmm. a father? So we can right. go to gal, a, which is a word in English, so we do. We just naturally will go to gal, right. a, gal. Mm -hmm. or we can go to gall. Gall, right? Which just sounds sure. And then we do that also with like pasta, you know? This the the, the right. romance right. language version of that would have a more forward sound, pasta, a. Mm -hmm. And instead we go to either British goes to a pasta. And mm -hmm. American goes to ah pasta, and this ah sound is super ah. relaxed. It's like I mean, it's yeah. also like giving your heart a little caress. So obviously, I ah. my clients love this. It's like you do this right before you go in for an audition. Ah, <laughs> this is one of the easier sounds for people to to uh, produce. At the same time, they don't use it as often as they should and could, you know, in Amer in English, because a lot of times they kind of like uh, take the ah sound, especially when it's it's spelled with o. Mm -hmm. Turn it into oh, but right. But so for so I will like say physically, I'm going to pop out just real fast for people who are um, watching. And this it's like a little string coming out of your solar plexus. Ah ah ah. This is the short oh. O sound. Ah. So we have two O's. I say we have two O's in English. Oh. Unfortunately, neither of them is the one that every other language has, which is oh. We just do not round our lips like that ever. Oh. So we have mm -hmm. ah that one I was just doing ah 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 ah, oh. and then we have. O, oh, which is the diphthong of a cup into ooh. Oh, 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 right? Oh. So, but to go back to that first one, ah, 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 the, the non diphthong one, ah, and that AH sound, ah, are identical. I was about to say fucking identical again, but there you go, are <laughs> fucking identical. And, you know, we can argue with that in terms of length, like technically ah is longer and ah is shorter. Right. But 50 years ago, they really had a difference. Right. In 50 years ago, even 30 years, you know, depending on what age person you're talking to, they still have a slight difference in that. The word not, N-O-T, not, will have a little right. tooth on the sides, a little up and down mm -hmm. shape, not, versus like, um, 
I don't know. I mean, this not as a word, but if you had, yeah, ah, not, not, no, an age, no. an age word. Like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of an N one. Um, no. Na, na, narwhal. <laughs> anyway, there you go. But ah, ah versus ah. But oh. especially contemporary, especially our age, right. and you know, a little younger, a little older, or all the way younger, I should say, and a little older. Uh, <clears throat> We should absolutely feel comfortable making yeah. them sound exactly the same. Short O, long A, ah, ah, are and it's so much easier to merge sounds, and especially when you know you're speaking a second language and you have less vowels than the spoken language. So much easier to merge it and just say, just do that. And then they go to the dictionary or they hear from someone that this is what they should do. And they're like, uh, well, I'm confused. And this is where language is like something that is very fluid. And you just need to, you first 100%. need to just sound clear. Let's start with that. And if you say. What I, what I love, I just got really excited. I'm sorry. I interrupted because I got, because you're, yes, yes, 100%. And um, one of the things that was my, I only had two rules in my class when I used to teach at Stella Adler. They're kind of two versions of the same rule. Neither of them had to do with putting your cell phone away. But <clears throat> they were, um, one, uh, fuck spelling. Mm -hmm. Or if you wanted to put it a little bit more gently, spelling is irrelevant. Because when you're <laughs> trying to come up with rules for, oh, but this is right. spelled with O-O, so it must be ooh. I'm like, I'm so sorry yeah. on behalf of all English yeah. uh, to tell you. You that, should be. Um, I am. I take full responsibility. Um, I actually have this book. Oh, this this thing that I recently reread. I mean, um, the mother tongue. He's an old white guy, and he's deeply problematic. And it's from 1990. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, I was alive then, and it feels really, really, really wrong. But it is full of uh, of a lot of academic wisdom, and and is told really okay. uh, funly. But uh, it's it's called the mother tongue English and how it got that way. It is a reminder okay. that it's a reminder for anybody who needs it uh, on the permission front that, like, as you say, it's constantly evolving. The old old English apparently used to be somewhat more like Spanish, where uh, every sound actually maintained its integrity and had the the, the spelling and the, the out loud was exactly you could tell the rules by looking at it is what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But not so much with contemporary English um, for anybody yep. who's following along at home. So that was my first rule. But my other rule, which is why I bring it up, is ear honesty, ear honesty. So mm -hmm. if we're trying to say, but it should be, or, but someone told us that this is what's right, listen to your ear and trust it. If you were hearing right. Americans make that ah sound and that short O sound, ah sound exactly the same, trust yourself, trust your ear. It's so, it's so good and so interesting because there's always this, the, I notice that my students, for example, always doubt themselves of what, what they hear and what comes out, which is okay because the brain does filter out a lot of information, especially if they're not used to sound. So they might like filter out the actual sound and they hear it through the filter of the, of the spelling, right? A lot of times, especially when it comes to the schwa. And I, I once had an argument with a student where argument, we were- Yeah, oh yeah, no, debate. Yeah. Debate, yeah, exactly. And he was like, yeah, there is O in computer. No, it's a schwa. Like, no, 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 I can hear. Here, say it. And I said, computer. You said computer. And that little sound, oh, we heard oh, it. Our brain. And, yeah. And it's true. Had you not studied spelling first thing as you started learning English? I mean, would that wouldn't have been a problem, happen. right? Yep. No, in it's fact, because... I have a five-year-old who's beginning to learn to write and, and to read. Oh. And like... It's the opposite way, right? I mean, he knows the word computer, yeah. and so he would never spell it with an O. 
Right. And he has to be taught, you know, reverse engineered back to like, yeah. well, I know it doesn't sound that way, but, <laughs> but Bill Bryson. How do you explain about- that? Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think? Uh, we talked about it just before we hit record. And um, I told you about my thoughts and how I deal with the phrase speak like a native. And I would love to hear what you think about it. And also what tips do you have for speakers of English as a second language who really struggle with um, with physically their voices, like they don't come out. And I do think that it relates, right? Because they feel that their voices are not the standard or what people expect or what is the norm. I was asking a question, then I was answering it as- <laughs> No, it's so, as I, I was I asking. You just said, no, I love it. Also, you know, I'm new to podcasting. I've, I have this podcast that's, uh, on, uh, we just dropped episode 12 today. So I'm- Which by the way, you have to go and subscribe to the podcast. It's called Permission to Speak. Really, I'm, I, I'm, I eagerly, I'm eagerly waiting every single week, or maybe I should say, I eagerly wait every single week uh, for a new episode. So um, really, it's so good. Both verb tenses would have worked just perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> also the point of communication is communication and I understood the thoughts. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, um, we're going to link to it by the way, it's in the description and the show notes. That's so very, yeah. that's very kind. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, part of what's, what, what I think we're both excited about in finding each other is that this conversation is just so, um, it doesn't happen very often anywhere, but it's really big and overlaps with every aspect of our lives. I mean, how we use our voice is just li- not, it's just so much not about literally how we use our voice. It's just not about like what pitch we're talking at, although that also matters and is interesting and has all kind of gendered stuff and all of that. Right. But you know, it's about it's about all the ways that we're showing up in the world and all the ways that we are or are not embracing our individualism. Um, and then you had some you had like two parts to an amazing question that I wanted to answer. And I don't remember that. Now. I don't think I remember it either. Oh, but okay, the voice, the voice changes when speaking because oh. of. Okay, so no, you wanted to, you were asking about the native, native, native. Oh, and speak like a native, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Well, it's not a phrase that means much to me. I will say that. Um, it makes me think. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna share a tiny um, metaphorical story that's not that's very much not the same as what you're talking about, but is. But I have a friend who's in her mid twenties, who is in Hollywood, was an assistant at a really massive, like, you know, movie development company and wanted to leave and start an activism organization for the assistant level people in Hollywood to, who have no money and no time to figure out small ways that they can be of use to the world and ultimately also kind of unionize. Like there isn't really a union for assistance and they're treated pretty terribly. So it wasn't going to be an official union, but the whole idea of like you know, of unionizing is like, you know, we're we're stronger together than apart. And Mm -hmm. she had this idea and we sat on this couch and she ran it by me and I'm an advisor now on her, um, for her, for her organization. Uh, And she said, but I'm just so young. I don't know if anyone will take me seriously. And I underline this because she took the thing that is the strongest about her position when she wanted to do this. You know, the thing that makes her be able to hold a mirror up to everybody else in the town who is her generation and lead them. 
and thought of that as a weakness instead of a strength. Mm. And I just, I think back to that a lot because I can feel when I do that to myself. And I think a lot of us do that to ourselves. And it is totally easy to say, if she were older and knew even more people, then she could have led better, but she would have been less connected to her people. And if you sounded 100% American people out there, you would do better. But no, I mean, the thing is, we we all bring our life experience to the table and we aren't actually, no, no one really wants the most boring person to have the most power, right. except for the most boring person. And, you know, obviously I don't want to call anybody boring, but, you know, the, the, the people who have the most conventionally empowering stories, the straight white men of the world who have never thought about how their voice sounds because no one has ever questioned it. Right. God bless them. I am not judging them, but I'm saying I'm not speaking to them. Right. And to everybody else, you know, and even my husband, he is totally a straight white man. And I cop to that. Um, but, you know, his own experience, the the place he grew up, the way that he felt as a kid, the, you know, the, the different the different gradations of of how we have felt kept out of power. We're allowed to sort of own all of that and then turn our problem into our solution. And not be not sit on that couch and say, but my greatest strength is my greatest weakness. And so, you know, I, I also I I just feel like when my foreigners have broken my foreigners, quote unquote, my my actors for my <laughs> my clients um, have broken through, have really gotten those roles that really reflect their souls. They get to be in that position everyone wants to be in, where they get to laugh at that time that they once thought that their background was a, you know, a, a drawback instead of a benefit. It's like when you, when you're validated by the, by, the, by society, it's okay. Right. But until then, and usually people are not validated. It's, then we have like to just validate always... ourselves and ask exactly. our friends to validate us. And that is yeah. so hard. And it feels, it feels, I mean, it feels quiet enough when we're just validating ourselves and our friends or it feels quiet enough that we still hear the voices that right. say, it's you're not good enough yeah but if you don't do it like you have to do it because you won't be validated by others if you don't validate yourself because you'll and never then, show up and then to make this really practical how that ends up showing up in our voices is that we realize okay that little vocal warm-up that i can do and i don't mean a massive one i'm not just not a big fan of like you have to take two hours to warm up your you know but that little five minute one where you make sure that your jaw is relaxed and you make sure that your tongue, you know, which goes all the way down to here, like, you know, isn't holding yeah, yeah. all of the tension of your life and you're, you know, trilling out your lips, you realize that, that the way that you can actually use your vocal apparatus for the athleticism that is speaking any language, but certainly English, um, is the way that, that that new, slightly, slightly pushing out newfound confidence can show up in right. your voice. You can actually say, I'm, this is what showing up sounds like. I'm going to, I'm going to, in the phrase, this is what showing up sounds like. I emphasize the word up. Okay. I don't know. It's not a rule. It was not the most idiomatic thing, but it felt right in the moment. And then instead of saying, this is what showing up sounds like, which would be a really generic way of saying it. This is what showing up sounds like. Right. I'm not really breathing. I breathed and I punched the word up like I, like it mattered to me. This is what showing up sounds like. And, you know, not every circumstance and not every Zoom meeting you ever do requires that level of athleticism. But what if you can practice that on your right. own? And, and the right. answer to your question about what to do on your own to improve that, to me, besides, you know, 
actually getting help on really specific sounds that your, your ear just needs to learn how to hear better, uh, which, you know, is what somebody like you is really valuable for and somebody like me when I'm actually like doing it, which is right now I'm just book writing and living in a pandemic. Um, you know, but, but if you can memorize, if you can make yourself, whether you're an actor or not, memorize a bit of text, hopefully something that you really like. Maybe it's even just like, five sentences out of Glennon Doyle's Untamed that speaks to you or some, you know, something that feels contemporary and feels like it means something or has the potential to mean something to you and make like, by which I mean your body does something and walk around your house saying it and have it super yeah. memorized. So you're not thinking about the next mm -hmm. line, not thinking about the next line and just doing it. You know, I used to do this all the time and I did it with Shakespeare and I did it with contemporary stuff. Yeah. But now it's like, you know, Pick anything that matters, poetry, whatever. And the more that you do that on your own in a room that feels safe and maybe alone, the more you can figure out what is the version of me? She doesn't have to entirely be this person, but what is the version of me that isn't vocally hiding? What would she sound like? And what does she do to my body? And just try, you know, see what happens. I mean, I wish I had like something I could pick up right now to sort of do an example, but I'm, I'm making enough sense. I have to tell you, um, it, it, I, I love it. I love it. And it's um, in the past, I think, two years, I, I have an online program and I have a bunch of students and we were in, in a Facebook group. And then I said, like, I felt they needed something a little different two years ago. And I introduced them to the power speech based on the power pose where they had to memorize a, a, like a fierce monologue, right? One where the character is like shouting. And I, I told them, you have to memorize it. Mm -hmm. And they had to memorize it and then do it full out because I wanted them to feel to, to, to experience feeling powerful in English without thinking and about the words. Not thinking about the words. Without having without to think right. about the words. Right? Memorization. With like having this, yes, especially something that you relate to and that you enjoy. And what I've you seen there. You can turn off that part of you that, that's like, how, what word is going to come next? And if you can take yes. that off your plate, then you get to really just work on first, you know, in a contained space. What, it, what does it feel like to stand up for myself? Right. And that insecurity of like, I don't know what to say next, is you really hear a difference in the voice. One of my students said, I never thought my voice could sound that way. Like mm -hmm. I've never heard my voice that way because she, she's like a very soft talker and mm -hmm. you could barely hear her videos and all of a sudden she was like full out and um, very powerful. So I, I absolutely, you know, I think that this is such a great technique. And acting in general, I started doing like acting workshops for my students for non-actors, yeah. but it's just they, they enjoy it so much and they learn so much from it because when you set an intention, intonation is just like, or the melody or prosody or whatever is just a result if you know what you're talking about and you yeah. are safe using the words. I like to say that there's, there's like two ways to go into a line of text that's complicated. Um, and this goes for acting, but also for just, you know, if you're public speaking, I, a, a line that Barack Obama says that's long and complicated to know which word gets the emphasis, like I just said with mm -hmm. off in that earlier example, mm -hmm. you know, that there's two ways to go into this. One of them is to actually think what is the operative word. And that takes a little bit of the hard brain instead of the soft brain. And it's a little bit of the operative word is the word that operates the thought. It's the word that gets the lift. And mm -hmm. it's not necessarily the most interesting word in the thought. I like to give the example from when I worked with a, a Brazilian woman who had the line in the movie in the movie she was working on um uh i don't give a shit and shit's the most fun word there but give is actually where the emphasis goes right, right? i don't right. give a shit 
And if you actually say, I don't give a shit, shit. it sounds weirdly like you do give a shit, which is like really messing yeah. with the intention. You know, it's just, it's a bummer. It's a bummer how idiomatic expressions work. But right. my point is that there is the um, sort of intellectual way of going about it, which I'm not against. It's just that it has a time and place and it does, it's not going to feel yeah. as in the body. And then there's the emotional connection way. And I think of them not as competing, but as sort of checking your work. The only challenging thing about that is that a lot of times they carry over some patterns like rhythm and uh, stress patterns from their native language that maybe it's- Well, that's actually why syllable. I mean doing that work on operative words. It does not just mean like picking a word and lifting it. It means getting really conscious about if this thought is, yeah. I was gonna go to Chicago tomorrow, but now I'm gonna go today. So tomorrow versus today are the two things that are being held in opposition. And the fancy, you know, Shakespeare word is antithesis. Antithesis. By the way, a Greek word, because we're going to go to Greece together. Um, Hadar talked August. And I talked ahead of this. And, um, in and, August. Yeah. Just put in your, put, put in your calendar. Um, <laughs> done. Um, anyway, antithesis, two, two ideas being held in opposition within a single thought. Right. So I thought I was going to do it tomorrow, but instead I'm doing it today. There are rules and we follow those rules when we're Native American English speakers. We follow those rules and even Native speakers break those rules when they're suddenly public speaking. They don't that mm. uh, word, which word gets lifted if they wrote it ahead of time and now they're out here. They're thinking about the audience. They're thinking about how they look. They're thinking right. about coming across Sounding as proper. And yeah. they're not connecting to the thought. And this is what I mean about these two things being um, being ways to check your work. If ahead of time you have emphasis, you've underlined the word tomorrow to make sure that today and tomorrow get get you know get their nice little uh, get a little little probably good pitch punch. You know, right? Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to do it today. Punch. I love it. Tomorrow, I usually call it a lift because a punch feels a little aggressive. But you know, there is there is an that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can underline it or put it in italics. In your in your written thing to remind yourself or you can dare yourself to think in the middle of your thought even on even in front of an audience and to really think and if you really think um i was going to do this today but i decided i needed to do it tomorrow it will it will also lift it will also do the punch mm. So that's what I mean. It's not, you're right. And actually the way to undo the rhythms that happen either because we're disconnected or because they were bringing in stuff from our own yeah. language that isn't working. Yeah. The way to undo that is to think about those operative words more than yeah. anything. And and that, that idea of like, it's okay to pause for a second and think about what you want to say and not mm -hmm. go in autopilot and on like survival mode where you just have to speak so people don't it's think that you and it is know. the hardest thing it's the hardest thing to to a to pause mm -hmm. and and really and not 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 an empty pause right but to pause to actually breathe to actually think like what do i right. want to say next to breathe what, what what um what impulses are like coming at me from what i'm taking in about the room i'm in and how will i how will i trust and allow that to change me you know, a lot of this work is about surprising ourselves. If we never surprise ourselves, we're actually kind of not being people up there. So part of it is that, you know, for sure. You're just like. Yeah. <laughs> Can I hug you? <laughs> okay, listen, I have one last question about the voice, which I think my, you know, the viewers, listeners are going to love um, hear us talk about it because it's not discussed enough. Like, first of all, so it's a little complex, but um, 
a lot of people experience that uh, when they move into English, their voice changes. And mm -hmm. I like it's everything that we discussed about the permission and about being too shy and not feeling that they should be heard. Um, but also, there is, do you, like, what do you say about different voices for different languages or different cultures, right? Like, sometimes there is, like, the quiet voice that is just a result of a culture or norms, cultural norms, um, or a preconceived notion of how an American voice should sound, and then the voice is manipulated to sound more American, but it's then not authentic, and people don't feel like themselves anymore. I mean, you you hit on you hit on on the sort of contradictions in there for sure. Here's what I know. Some of what we do to manipulate our voice hurts ourselves, mm. either on an anatomical level or in terms of our sense of power. <clears throat> and we're doing it because we think we have to be a certain way of that we've heard other people be. Um, often that means, and this is not even necessarily language related, it's just sort of public persona related, but um, often that means that um, men especially go down a little bit in pitch and do what I lovingly call the superhero voice, right? So like, if you talk like this, like everything <laughs> come across is like really important. Uh, and I sound like Batman, you know, but that's a way of not using, that's a way of not using pitch at all anymore because as soon as we're right. not, and as soon as we're sort of just living in our, living in our throats, um, we, we can't have any pitch and pitch I'm a big, big proponent of this. Pitch equals vulnerability. When we don't share our pitch, when we go monotone, which again, not judging, we do it when we're feeling scared, it is a way of hiding. It is a way of saying, I don't care that much, don't worry, I'm cool. Yeah. If we show more range, if we go up and down, what we're saying is I care. That is the root of our greatest power and it is also the root of our greatest vulnerability and people yeah. will be able to see us and hear yeah. us and then they will have opinions about us. This um, is so and big and and when like especially with my with students and followers they say I always like that that thing I sound monotone I like I don't have any variation I don't sound interesting and I heard you speak about that on the podcast about vulnerability. And I was like, yes, that's what it is. It's not just patterns from, from the first language. It's really about, I just want to be okay not to make too many mistakes so people don't notice. Or sometimes like, I'm going to sound American and people are going to think, who, who does she think she is? Or mm -hmm. who does he think he is? Mm -hmm. Like using his American mm -hmm. accent. Yeah. Well, and we can talk, and I'd love to actually hear feedback from people afterwards on, on your own experiences with this, because I think that so much of what, what we're talking about on a really practical level of what's going on in our heads is the fear of the feedback we're going to get. And I'd love to hear from people about what the feedback is that they have gotten that's really stuck with them. And also mm -hmm. with the percentage of how much has been negative versus positive, because you know, us humans, we can mm -hmm. focus on that one negative comment and ignore the 50 positive ones. And I think part right. of the solution, if we really are trying to literally change our culture in terms of who we, whose voices we hear, not just we talk, but we hear as powerful is about changing the way we think about those trolls because yeah. they're out there, but they should not be defining all of our lives. Right. And especially if they're just a few really, you know, people who are on their own goddamn journey, they can be them. But they you do already not said it here, so you can. Ours. Yeah, 
they don't get to take over all of ours and they have for way too way too long and i think it's a it's an image of of the of the people who are going to to mock us more than it's real and i'm i'm interested in what that is and i think the only real solution is in all of us sharing our stories so that we can realize how much we're collectively stronger than them right and so I, I do encourage you, if you're listening or watching, to comment right below the video or on the podcast page and just share it with us. And you know what? I think that that troll is like our inner critic critic for the most part, because a lot of times I ask them, like, is the, do you know this to be true? Has someone told you that, like that, that judgment? They're like, no, I just, I just know that they feel that right, way. Like, right, right. Okay. Well, yes. And I also really want to validate the people who have had, you know, for almost True. all of us, I mean, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not one or the other. You're absolutely yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah. almost all of us have had some comment at some point in yeah. our lives, often when we were way young, uh, that really stayed with us, whether it's front of mind or way dormant at this point, just like asleep in the back of our mind, but like affecting our actions. Um, right. And, you know, that person, people like, you know, are, I just really don't want them to to affect our story anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Samara. <laughs> so much insight. So, so many good things. I feel like I need to bring you to a sequel here. Yeah, uh, I mean, truly, let's do a second part because I feel like also there was a bunch of we should we're, we're going to do our homework and listen back for the questions that you asked and then we got mm -hmm. sidetracked and we didn't actually answer cuz all of your questions were <laughs> super right on and there was one about pitch in there for example that we were just about to right. talk about um and this stuff is you know this is why I I pitched a podcast with you know ongoing episodes not just like a 10 10 episode thing you know and and mm -hmm. I Radio said yes because this is hard for people to think about how big this topic is. Um, right. But once we get into it, we realize everything is connected to it. Everything is connected to it. Yeah. And the voice is like the most intimate thing that we have. It's before everything, right? Before the sounds that we make, it's it's maybe the thoughts are first, but the voice is, it's so immediate and, um, and people hear it first. So this is how you present yourself, how you carry yourself in the world. Well, and I would, I would frame it also a little bit different, which is that we, it's more obvious that how we look is how we yeah. will be judged. Um, or if you don't want to say judged, you know, it will affect oh. how we're treated. Um, and we often, you know, not, not your listeners. And this is why it's like so stunning to be in this community, but for, for the public at large, we often forget that the voice is even something we have any a control over and be like a critical mind to even think about. Yeah. And yet, you know, when things happen, like, you know, five women run for president in America and none of them make it to the final round, it does start to come out in these think pieces all over the place. But they're sort of like everybody thinks they're having their own thought. And is it about feminism? Sorry, is it about sexism or isn't it? Um, and so what my dream with the podcast and what I think you're doing over here as well is is creating a space to say, like, this is actually all different parts of the same story. And how we think about our voice does matter. And it's not just this like invisible thing that we can't talk about because we don't have the words. You and I are finding the words and we're finding them imperfectly because that's how communication works. But we are going for something and I'm proud of us. <laughs> <laughs> 
Samar, where where can people find you? Because I'm sure everyone will want um, to. The greatest for me, I would my my um, my dream is that you listen to the podcast, which you can find on yeah. any podcast app. I mean, it's an iHeartRadio podcast, but it's also on Apple and Spotify. So it's and, permission yeah. to speak. They just have to type in permission, permission to, speak. to speak. I highly Samara recommend it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. And then the other thing is, I'm really building up my Instagram um, community. Uh, because I want as many people, you know, commenting and DMing as possible so that the podcast can truly be for you. Mm -hmm. So that's so, so go over there and tell Samara what you thought about this interview and about the questions that she asked you. So go over there. She'll respond to you to the DMs or comments. Yeah. And yeah, that's a privilege when, you know, uh, when, when, when we can do that. It's a dream. Truly. It's a dream. I mean, we're, we're, you know, you and I are the ones who are on this screen and who've been thinking about this for the last 10 plus years, but every single person here um, shares the shares the story with us, which is that we're really just trying to change the way that culture thinks about our voices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Samara, thank you so much for this beautiful hour. I had so much, I, I've learned so much <laughs> from you. <laughs> I, I mean, um, needless to say, I fully geek out about this stuff, but it's because, you know, my heart is really in it and... Um, I can yeah. tell yours is too, and I love that. Thank you. Hey, it's me again. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope this made you think about a few things. And if you have any questions for me or for Samara, then send us a message on Instagram, either on my Instagram, hadar.accentsway, or find Samara at Permission to Speak Pod on Instagram. We are going to do a Q&A session live. And if you want to join the conversation, then we are waiting for you. If you like this episode, consider subscribing and consider subscribing to Permission to Speak Pod. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. Stay safe and I'll catch you next time.